כל ישראל יש להם חלק לעולם הבא שנאמר ועמך כולם צדיקים לעולם ירשו ארץ נסר מטעי מעשה ידי להתפאר הלל אומר הווה מתלמידיו של אהרון אוהב שלום ורודף שלום אוהב את הבריות ומקרבן לתורה רבותיי as a custom for many years During the period between Pesach and Shavuot, we follow the Minhag of Yisrael to study and to teach Pirkei Avot. Although the Minhag is to study a chapter a week, the time does not allow us to elaborate on the entire chapter. So customarily we choose one Mishnah and we try to isolate it and analyze it and say, Hiddushim. Uh, the reason why I chose this Mishnah, which if I'm not mistaken is the 11th Mishnah in the first Pedic, is because the main character in the Mishnah is Aharon HaKohen, who happens to be the main character in this week's Parashah, Parashat Aharemot, so I felt it appropriate to connect the two. It's the 10th Mishnah, it's the 12th Mishnah. Hazaku Baruch for that uh, correction, that important correction. Doctor, it is the 12th Mishnah. But I'm sure if you went to 11, you probably would have found it anyway, because it's the next Mishnah. But nonetheless, for the sake of accuracy, it is the 12th Mishnah. Rabotai, what is the Mishnah saying? Mishnah says, that you should strive to be from the students of Aharon Kohen. What was his Midah? He was known to be somebody that pursued and ran after peace. He was the ultimate peacemaker. And he loved the people, and he used the tactic of peace to bring the people closer to Torah. Now regarding his tactics, I found a Kalara uh, Bati that talks about some of Aharon's practices. And it says, There's nobody more humble and more uh, effaced than somebody that uh, seeks peace. The Midrash says, just conjure up on your own uh, thinking. If a person is not going to be humble <clears throat> and uh, low, how is he going to ever make peace? <clears throat> Normally the peacemaker gets yelled at. And they curse him out. And what would Aaron Echohen say? Omer lo shalom alecha. He doesn't know, don't worry, peace be on to you. Adam meriv imo. Guys would be quarrelsome with Aaron. Veshotek. And not only that, but sometimes they would spit on him and sometimes they would chase him away. And Aaron was rodef. He had to chase the peace because the peace was elusive. And the Midrash goes on to say that not only did he make peace amongst feuding friends, but he was an expert in the Shalom Bayit field as well, which is very time-consuming, as we know, as a rabbi. And he went, and he would start to talk to the couple, and he would tell the husband, you want to divorce your wife? What do you think? The next one's going to be any better? How do you know that you're going to be more happy the second time? Therefore, it's better off to reconcile. And we go to the, to the, to the kala and back and forth until he would reconcile. And the Midrash writes that when Aharon died, he had a greater funeral and a greater procession than even Moshe Rabbeinu did. 
Moshe it says, B'nai Yisrael eulogized him. But when Aharon passed away, it says, V'yivku oto kol bet Yisrael. Even the ladies came out to pay homage because he saved their marriages. But then the Midrash says that there was something incredible that never happened. There was a parade of 80,000 boys that attended the funeral of Aharon HaKohen. And they had something in common, these 80,000 boys. They all were called Aaron. How did they share the same name? These were all the children of those couples that Aaron salvaged their marriages. They were not going to have children anymore. And therefore, when they got uh, reconciled, they had children. Now they said, this is Zechut of Aaron. So therefore, they named them. And the Midrash writes, and I quote, so you could hear it inside, Tana, Shemonim elef bahurim kiruim beshem aharon yatsu ahar mitato. 80,000 boys that were named aharon went after, the, went after the coffin. And therefore the Midrash comes along and says he impacted everybody. Therefore the Mishnah is telling us how great and how valuable the inyan of peace is. But that's what it says in the Mishnah. As a result... Aharon merited something that nobody else ever merited. Now brings us to our perasha. The beginning of the perasha tells us about the service that the Kohen Gadol did on Yom Kippur. Now the first Kohen Gadol, of course, was Aharon Kohen, And the Torah tells us, Speak to your brother Aharon. And you must tell him, that he cannot always go into the Kodesh, Kodashim. He cannot always enter the Holy of Holies. Velo yamut. He better be careful, because if he enters the Holy of Holies without permission, without a license, he could die. But if he wants to enter, Bezot yavo Aaron la Kodesh, with this, Aaron can enter the Holy of Holies. And then the Pasuk gives us a whole list of korbanot, certain type of garments that he must wear. He has to bring a ketoret. And then he is able to enter the Kodesh Kodashim. Now, does anybody know which date this is referring to when he's allowed to walk into the Kodesh Kodashim? Oh, so everybody says, as a matter of fact, as if I don't know it, and you come along and tell me Kippur. Can I ask you a question? Nowhere does it mention anywhere yet in the Perashah that we're talking about Yom Kippur. As a matter of fact, Yom Kippur is not mentioned until Pasuk. 29, that means we're 29 Pesukim in, and I still have no idea which day this is talking about, when Aharon could walk, walk into the Holy of Holies, until it says in Pesuk 29, that this is referring to the 10th day of the 7th month, hence Yom Kippur. And I asked a simple question. Never in the Torah, when it's giving us a date, does it put the date at the end? We just read the parasha of the holidays. It talks about Pesach. What does it say? In the first month, on the 15th day of the month, all the laws. When it talks about Sukkot, on the 7th month, on the 15th day of the month, all the laws. 50 days after you count the Omer, it's going to be Shavuot. It gives you all the laws. It always gives you the date first. Here in Parashat HaHaremot, he gives you all the facts, what he goes in, what he brings, how he does, and the reader still doesn't know when this is supposed to happen till the last pasuk of the parashah comes along and says, by the way, 
By the way, P.S., this is referring to the 10th day of Tashi. This was the question that I had. To my delight, I found that the great rabbi called Rabbi Abraham Danzig, a.k.a. Haye Adam, the great rabbi in the 1700s that wrote prolific works in Halakha, Haye Adam, Chochmat Adam. We have his book. At the end of Chochmat Adam, he did us a great favor. Although it's a halachic book, he decided to write a little Devre Torah. And in this Devre Torah, he asks, he says in his question, and I quote, this parasha is mishune. It's strange, it's different. Normally it tells you the date. Then it tells you what to do. Open up parashat emor. You'll see it several times. Parashat pinechas. You'll see it several times. Right? Here it lists you the order of what is to be done. And at the end it says, It should have done it in the opposite way. That's the question of the Chokmat Adam. Based on this question, he makes a stunning novel Hiddush that is, uh, it is mind-boggling. And he writes, because of this, I will tell you that I found the Midrash. And the Midrash says that although the Pasuk says to Aaron, that you're really not allowed to go any time into the Kodesh, which we always thought to men, he can only go into the Kodesh Kodeshim once a year on Yom Kippur, says the Rav that the Midrash says, Ela bechol Aaron actually had rights to enter the Kodesh Kodeshim any time he wanted 365 days a year. Rak, so long as he follows the protocol of whatever it says in Parashat Ahremot, Bezot Yavu Aaron in Kodesh. With this, with the Ketoret, with the white garments, with certain sacrifices, as long as Aaron follows the Bezot, the instructions that are set forth in Parashat Ahremot, he can go in any time he wants. And that's why it says Rabbi Danzig, it does not mention Kippur in the beginning. Because we're not talking about Kippur. We're actually talking about any time that he wants to go. So when the Pasuk says, it means don't go any time into the Kodesh without these prerequisites. But if you'll follow the protocol of what's written in Parashat HaRemot, Baruch you can go three times a day. Aye, but on Yom Kippur, you must go in. That's why it mentions it, that there's two different things that are taking place. So now it comes out, and he says, that Aharon was the only man in history that had total and constant access to the holiest place in the world, the Kodesh Kodeshim. And I'm asking, what's the 
which means even the subsequent Kohanim Gedolim did not have that. They could only go on Yom Kippur. But since the Pasuk was referring to Aharon, Daber el Aharon Achicha, Ve'al Yavo Becholet el HaKodesh, Bezot Yavo Aharon el HaKodesh. Aharon has an exclusivity to have instant and constant access to the Kodesh Kodeshim. And the question is why? The answer, I believe, Rabotai, is very, very simple. Because the Hachamim tell us that Bore Olam is very, very uh, close and connected to the people that are humble and to the people that are modest. And God disdains and pushes away those that are arrogant. And since we just read in the Midrash that Aharon was considered Shfalruah, that even though he was such a great personality, he minimized himself and he went in order to make peace even to simple people that were feuding. Ohevet abiriyot. Biriyot connotes even the common guy, even the simple guy. Biriyah is folk, is bourgeoisie. And still Aaron didn't come along and say, hey, I'm the Kohen Gadol, I'm going to go now deal with Shalom Bay. 80,000 Aharons. That means he dealt with, I mean, that's a lot of mahlukot. I don't know why, I don't want, I don't know why they were fighting so much in the Midbar, what's to fight about, but that's another discussion. But Aaron, but Aaron was, uh, was there to, to solve all the problems. And therefore, since he had such a unique personality of humility, Borea Olam says, I dwell next to the one that's shfalruah. God says, I am connected to those that are shfalruah. Therefore, God says, you entered places that are beneath your dignity, you will be able to enter places that nobody else in the world entered. You entered the homes of the simple tents of the people in order to reconcile their mahlakot. And how many hours did you spend? That access that you gave yourself to the low places or to the simple places is going to earn you a right and an exclusive right to enter the Kodesh Kodashim. When? Whenever you like. As long as you just follow this protocol. And what if another Kohen will follow the protocol? He can't come in. Once a year, Yom Kippur, in and out. Aaron, as they say in French, laissez-faire. Open door policy. He can go in as he pleases. Now that we've said this, now I'd like to begin what I came to discuss and reveal a great secret. It's based on this Mishnah and it's based on the Penashah. What caught my attention in the parasha, of course, it's all the Seder Avodav Yom Kippur. So it's very important to learn this parasha in depth so you know exactly what was done on Yom Kippur. After all, a lot of what we read here, if not everything, is the main focus of the prayer of Musaf on Yom Kippur. So this is a good uh, you know, uh, exercise in preparing for the high holidays which are right around the corner. And now you have, you have an amazing ceremony. Ceremony is mind-boggling. It doesn't bother me, korbanot. Already I've come to terms with korbanot, although they're hard to understand, but we got used to it. They taught us in third grade, you bring a sacrifice, you slaughter it, you sprinkle some blood, the queen takes the fat and puts it on the mizbeah. If it's a korban hatat, the queen gets to eat a little piece, it brings kapara. Don't ask me to explain it to you. It's a hard thing to understand korbanot, but again, we were programmed over the years, that's what you do with the Beit HaMikdash, and I finally accepted it, that that's what it is. Okay, no problem. Kippur, it's a little extra. Kippur, some of the bloods are actually brought into the Holy of Holies, by Aharon HaKohen, 
Mind you, he wears special clothes when he enters the Kodesh Kodashim. He wears white. The Kohen Gadol had two sets of clothes. He had the golden uh, set and he had the white set. Bigdeh Zahav and Bigdeh Lavan. In the Holy of Holies, no Zahav, no gold. And why? They told us in second grade. Because you're going to such a merciful place and you're going to beg God for mercy, you don't want to go in with the prosecutor. And gold is the prosecutor. Because gold arouses judgment because it reminds the upper levels in the heavens and God Almighty of Heta Egel. And if the Kohen Gadol wants to activate the mercy of God in the holiest place of the, of the, of the planet you better not bring in the prosecutor, so no gold. Leave the gold out, so he takes it off. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, he's only allowed to wear the Bigdeh Lavan, which is the more simple of Begadim. Fine. And Katigon, that's the way we always learned. And he walks in, and he does some sprinkling. Fine. And that atones, I guess, on some sins. But Yom Kippur, something else happened. Now, it is so out of the realm of understanding. Torah says the Kohen, namely Aharon, will take a goat, a sa'ir. The sa'ir will be uh, brought out of the Mekdash and brought to a midbar, to a desert, to a desolate place. The Kohen at that point, uh, before it is sent out, Aharon will take his hands and place it on the head of this goat, as the Pasuk says, It's almost as if Aharon puts all the sins of Kla Yisrael on the head of this, of this goat. Not only the unintentional sins, but Pish'ahim, even the Intentional sins. Unbelievable. It's like Aaron has a bucket of sins of all Klai Yisrael. Just turns the bucket over and he pours it on the head of this poor goat over here. And then the Pasuk says, I'm assuming that the Pasuk means, and the goat will carry on it. What's going to carry? What is the goat going to carry? It's going to carry all the sins. And, you know, it's heavy. And it walks to the. Uh, to its destination. And where does it go? Elamidbar. This is shocking. We are now about to do a holy Yom Kippur ceremony off location, outside of the holy temple, in what I would call no man's land. Elamidbar. Uncivilized, uninhabited snakes and scorpions area. And this is where we're going to do one of the most significant services of Yom Kippur. And Aaron gives the, uh, you know, the simicha on the Sa'id before it's sent out. And then the Torah says, they look for this cliff. The cliff is called Azazel. Rashi tells us where they get the name. When I was in Mag and David, we used to have a rabbi, Biton ala v'shalom, in seven, exactly. Whenever he used to get angry, we would say, la'azazel, lech la'azazel. We didn't know what he was talking about. So we'd say, you know, you go first. We didn't know that. Then we would get beaten up. Then when we got older, we saw what azazel was. 
And basically, he was telling us, you know, go go fall off a cliff. That's, today, if you tell the kids, tell the, the teachers tell the t- kids today, that they get thrown in jail. But in those days, you can get away with telling a kid, you know, go, go to Azazel and, and see what happens. But that's basically what he was saying. That's basically what he was saying. But we didn't know it. So anyway, the Rashid tells us Azazel actually is a combination of two words. He says it's a combination of Az and El. Az meaning it's a strong, big, so she tells us it's a tall cliff with very sharp rocks, steep, and they would uh, walk the, uh, the goat up this cliff, uh, and all of a sudden, before you know it, boom, they push it off the mountain, this is unbelievable, this is, the, this is the Qurban of Yom Kippur, and it rolls and tumbles down uh, the mountain until it lands all the way to the bottom, and uh, supposedly, that that is the greatest kapara that B'nai Yisrael have, and they say that they put a string around its horns, a red string, and uh, they leave some of the string, you know, upstairs, and as the Sa'id Azazil rolls down the mountain, a miracle happens, the red string that's upstairs starts to turn miraculously white. And that's an indication that the Sa'id is atoning and you're going from, uh, like we would say in business, you're going from, uh, from the red to the black. You know, you're going from the red to the white. You're going from sin, which is impurity, to purity, to white. And everybody's, uh, you know, everybody lives happily ever after. And I'm scratching my head and saying, what kind of ceremony is this over here? It always boggled my mind, this ceremony that seems very surprising that it belongs in our religion at all let alone on the holiest day of the year, Yom Kippur. But then I'll tell you the way I think. I don't always think correctly. I imagine, and then after I imagine, I go search to see if great rabbis imagined the same thing that I did. I got lucky this week. I found out that my imagination turns out to be the uh, imagination and the theory of a great rabbi called Meshach Chochmah. Rabbi Meir Subhak Kohen of the Vinsk. What did I say to myself? I love to see correlations in the Torah. Because if we could find similar correlations, then maybe we could connect them and start to understand Hadushim. So I said, is there any other place in the Torah, in the five books, where we see Something or someone that is thrown from a high place into a low place and it's done in the Midbar, in no man's land? Oh, very good. Very good. You're thinking exactly like I thought, Baruch Hashem. So I have a lot of, a lot of friends. Right away my brain says, yes, this happened. Deja vu, it happened already. It happened in Parashat Vayeshev. So I, I copied Parashat Vayeshev and I see Hashlichu Oto Elabor. They take Yosef, he's in a high place, and they throw him down. And where was the bor? Asher Bamidbar. That's in the Midbar. Sounds like, you know, that's the location where this is happening. And I also noticed that the Gemara in Yoma when it talks about the string 
that was connected to the Sa'ir La'azazel, the Gemara Yoma, page 42, goes out of its way to tell us how much that string on the Azazel's head weighed. And it says, oh, Veshel Sa'ir HaMishtaleyah, Mishkal Sheneselaim. It weighs two selaim, whatever that is. And I said, wait, wait. I know that number from somewhere. The Gemara actually says that when Yosef HaSadiq received his ketonet, the, you know, the ketonet, which is the, the ketonet pasim, the robe, the technicolor robe, as we used to call it when we were kids, but it's the striped robe. And the brothers couldn't see straight. And the Gemara says, but don't think they all had robes. It's just that the robe of Yosef had a little extra fabric. And the Gemara says, how much extra fabric? Their robes came to their wrist. So it was fitted. Yosef's robe had a couple of extra inches of fabric. It covered his palm. In Hebrew, the way you say palm is pas, pas yad. So it's ketonet pasim. It's the ketonet that actually covered the pasim. And the Gemara says, how much extra fabric did Yosef's robe actually have? Gemara Megillah, Mishkal, Shnei Selaim. I said, hold everything. The exact amount of fabric in the ketonet pasim is the exact amount of fabric that they put on the, on the goat. And then I said to myself, wait, the goat. In the story of Yosef, there's also a Sa'ir. After all, what did they do after they threw him into the pit? They took his ketonet pasim, they slaughtered a goat in the midbar, they took his ketonet, they doused it in the blood, and they went back to their father, they said, Tarof, Tarof, Yosef. Yosef was devoured. So I said to myself, is it possible by any stretch of the imagination that there is some connection between the Sa'ir La'azazel Asher Bamidbar to the sin that the brothers did to Yosef? And if so, why does this become the service of Yom Kippur? To my delight, as I told you, I found this written, this theory in the Sefer Meshech Chochmah, right over here, in this week's Perasha. And he goes on to say the following. <clears throat> he says, the Midrash says in the name of Rabbi Abin, Bechol dor vador. Adayin het shel mechirat Yosef kayam. Don't think that the sin that the brothers did, which is a collective sin, the first sin of collective sin at kinam, the brothers came along and they abandoned their brother Yosef. Don't think that that sin was atoned. It wasn't, he says. It haunts us every year. And Meshechokma believes that the sin of Mechirat Yosef is like a wound. You know, a wound is always there, but sometimes it opens because it's very sensitive. And he says, as long as Klal Yisrael, 
which is made up of the tribes, the Shevatim, as long as they're involved in their mahlukot and their divisiveness and their, you know, the different things that split them up and the arguing and the, uh, the different quarrels, it opens the wound. It reminds God of the first sin of the civil war between the brothers against Yosef. And therefore he says, on Kippur, you need kapara for that sin. Because that's one of the biggest stains on our history. And if we don't get kapara on it, it's going to be very, very detrimental. And where is the kapara that Rab says? The kapara is exactly what I told you. He writes, Therefore, that's amazing things here. Lashon shil Sa'ida mishtaleyah, the string on the Sa'ida mishtaleyah, mishkal shte selaim. Remez le mashamru beshabbat, shibishvil mishkal shne selaim milat. For the extra fabric that Yaakov gave to Yosef, nitkanu bo'erav. The brothers resented him, the brothers hated him. Velachen, he comes along and he says, Something amazing. The real atonement for the sin of hatred, which the Gemara says in Yoma, Sinat Kinam Keneged Kulam, which incidentally were in the time of the Omer, which was the downfall of the Yeshiva of Rabbi Akiba. It's always our Achilles heel, this item. So the Rab says, You know where the real Kapara is? Not only on the mountain when they reenact the crime. It's a reenactment of the crime. When they're taking the Sa'id and they're walking up, the Kabbana is to remind everybody of that sin. And when they throw him down, you're seeing Yosef being thrown down. When you're seeing the blood of the Sa'id on the floor, you're reminded of the blood of the Sa'id that they dipped the ketonet. I'll even go further if I may. There's a Gemara in Yoma. I wasn't, again, just by preparing these classes, I get to learn a lot. The Gemara in Yoma is on uh, page 34. There the Mishnah says that on Yom Kippur, primarily the Kohen Gadol in his service wore white clothes. That I knew. But I didn't know, I forgot that it says in the Gemara that he had two sets. One more expensive and one less expensive. And he wore the more expensive set in the morning. The Gemara says, why? Because that's the Ikar Avodah. That's when he brought the Ketore. That's when he went into the Holy of Holies. That's when all the magic happens in the morning. So therefore they say, let him wear the more expensive set. That's Hadush. And the Gemara even tells us how much the sets cost and so on and so forth. But then I open up Harambam. No, no, he had two sets of white. Unis, two whites. And therefore, in the morning, he took out, you know, the the Hashuv ones, the more expensive one, the designer whites. And then uh, in the afternoon, he wore, you know, he wore the generic, uh, the whites. Uh, Something like that. Now, the Rambam, however, on this Gemara, listen to what he writes. It's in Hilkot Kalem Mikdash, Perek Chet, Halakha Gimah. Ushte kutonot 
אחרות היו לו לכהן גדול ביום הכיפורים. הרמב״ם writes, it wasn't that there was two sets of whites, there was two ketonets. That's the only difference. The ketonet, which is the robe that the kohen wears, that's the one that he changed from the morning to the afternoon. The other one stayed the same. And the Rambam writes, Ushte kutonot acherot ayudo lekohen gadol b'yom ikurim. Achat lovsha b'shachar v'achat b'na'arbayim. So koita Rambam, the only garment that he changed was, was the ketonet. The Gemara actually says that there were some Kohanim Gedolim that their mothers would make for them ketonets on Yom Kippur and they were worth a lot of money. Hundreds and hundreds of, 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 of gold coins worth of... And the question is, why was the Kohen Gadol mandated to wear a special expensive ketonet during the service of Kippur. You don't see this any time of year. Once a year, they take out the special ketonet to do the service. You know why? Because the whole mahloket of the sin'ah of the brothers revolved around what? The ketonet. And therefore, to atone for this, the Kohen's got to wear a special expensive ketonet to remind everybody, this is it, Rabotai. It was all about the ketonet. And says Meshach Chokmah, that we know each one of the clothes of the Kohen Gadol atones for a certain sin. When the Kohen wears the garments, the garments themselves don't only have fashion element to it, but they also have atonement element. And what does the ketonet atone for? The Gemara says in Zebahim, Shefichud Damim. It atones for murder, or attempted murder, or blood libel. And therefore, when they're bringing the Sa'il Azazel, which is kapara for the sin of the sale of Yosef and the throwing him into a pit, you need kapara for murder, he says. So therefore, you better wear the biggest ketonet you could find. Because this ketonet that the Kohen's going to wear has to atone for the attempted murder and blood libel that the brothers did against their, their brother Yosef. Furthermore, I mean, this is a new way of looking at the service of Kippur. Who knew that it's connected to Mechidat Yosef? Furthermore, he writes, the main kapara is in the Kodesh Kodeshi. Although we reenact the crime in the, in the field, I don't know if our members, no, we didn't have a class over here before Pesach. Oh, I delivered it in, in the synagogue. Oh, it's a shame because you missed the beauty. But I'll, I'll fill you in to what we said very quickly. We brought from Rav Shlomo Kluger, Shalom, in his Haggadah Shel Pesach, and in his Haggadah, he questioned why when the Jews left Egypt, did they put the matzah on their shoulders? Why, they didn't have donkeys? I said, when you go to the airport, you see somebody going to Miami, he has a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on his, uh, on his he has a wrap, a tuna wrap on his shoulder. What are you doing? I'm in JM, I'm in New York. I'm going to Miami. What's going on over here? Who puts their lunch 
on their shoulders. That's the Shlomo Kluger's question. That got you know what he answers? He said, of course it's odd. But if you remember what caused us to go down to Mitzrayim, the brothers sold Yosef to Egypt. That's when it started. The reason why we became slaves is because we sold our brother as a slave. What goes around comes around. Started with that. It didn't start with anti-Semitism. It started with anti-Jewishness amongst ourselves. And then from that, when, when Esav doesn't hate Yaakov until Yaakov hates Yaakov. And therefore, when Yaakov was hating Yaakov, the family had an intra-civil war. That already aroused the Goyim. So he says, but don't forget. They took him out of the pit. And who did they sell him to? To Yishmael. And we know one thing about Yishmael. The way they carry their wares. If you ever go to a foreign Middle Eastern land, where they put their stuff? Um, they put it everywhere. But they also put it on their shoulder, all their rugs on their shoulder, and all their junk they put it on their shoulders. That's the way Yishmaelim walk. Europeans carry it in their hand, or they have somebody else carry it for them. But the Arabs, it's on their shoulders. Says Rabbi Kluger, when we left Egypt, Moshe Rabbeinu said, I want everybody to remember the crime that you sold your brother to a Yishmael. Therefore, everybody went out with the matzah on their shoulder to reenact that moment so they'll remember. Don't do that again. Because of this, because of those people that look like this that you sold your brother to, that's how you got into this mess. Based on this, I saw, which connects, and that's my own two cents now. The Kitab the Kabbalah, on the pasuk that I quoted you, when they were walking the Sa'ir to Azazel, Listen to how the Pasuk says. The Pasuk writes, Venasa hasair alav et kol avonotam. The way we learned it simply was, Venasa hasair. Who's carrying? The sair is carrying. And what is the sair carrying? The avonot. Says the Kitab of Kabbalah, no. Venasa hasair. You know who's carrying the sa'ir? The guy that's walking it to the mountain. Venasa sa'ir, he's carrying it. And where is he carrying it? Alav. He's carrying it on his shoulder. And why is he carrying it on his shoulder? Based on Rosh Tomokuga, we understand. That means he didn't walk it up the cliff. He throws it on his shoulder. What are you doing? He says, uh, this is the head of Yosef. <laughs> we have to reenact everything. Don't forget there were Arabs involved and they showed up with all their stuff on their shoulders and therefore you got to throw the Azazel on your shoulder to remember that as well. Says the Rav. But the main kapara is done in the Kodesh Kodeshi. Although the crime is reenacted in the Midbar, in that location where it happened, but the real kapara is in the Holy of Holies. And that's why, he says, the Kohen Gadol is not allowed to wear Bigdez Zahav. You know why? Because one of the Bigdez Zahav is the breastplate. And you know what it says on the breastplate? The names of the tribes. And if you're going to walk into the Kodesh Kodeshim 
And Aharon is going to try to effectuate kapara for what the tribes did. The last thing you want to do is come in and broadcast on his chest all the names of the cry of the criminals that day that sold Yosef. God's going to say, what? This is what you brought in? Just like you can't bring in gold because it reminds God of Egel Azav. Says Mesha you can't come in with a Hoshin either because those names will incriminate. It'll remind God what the Shabbatim did and therefore keep it out. Furthermore, why is the Kapara specifically in the Kodesh Kodashim? Why does he got to go into the inner sanctum? Why can't he sprinkle the blood where they always sprinkle the blood? They always sprinkle the blood on the outside. Why a kippur? He got to go inside. Says the Rav. Simple reason. You know that the Beit Hamikdash, like all of Israel, was in a territory that belonged to the tribes. Eretz Yisrael was divided to the tribes. Primarily, the temple, the majority of the temple, was in Yehuda's territory. Says Meshach Ochmah, if you're going to bring the Kippur service in the temple proper, it was Yehuda whose idea was to sell Yosef. <laughs> That's not the location. So you got to find the spot that has no connection to the head of Mechirat Yosef. You have to find the free zone. Uh, so you got to find a location that belongs to somebody that was not part of the sale. Now the only two people that were not part of the sale, Yosef obviously because he was the, the victim, and Binyamin wasn't part of it. Says Meshach the Kodesh Kodashim, the Holy of Holies, is in whose Helek? Binyamin. That's a pure spot on the planet. So Aharon's got to walk into the Kodesh Kodashim. Now he's in Binyamin territory. There's no head. There's no Shabbatim's names. It's in a pure spot. Now Aharon is able to effectuate Kapara for the Heta Egel. Not the Heta Egel. For the head of Mechirat Yosef. No breastplate. He's got the most expensive ketonet that he wears all year on. To remind everybody of the ketonet basim. As this is happening, they're throwing the goat off the mountain. Says Ketabe Kabbalah, why is the mountain called Azazel? Yes, that she told us it's made up of two words. Az and El. Meaning a very strong, high, rocky cliff. Says the Rav, I believe it's two words also. But it's not Az and El, it's Azza and Zal. Azza, Zel. Azza and Zal. What does the word Azza mean? Azza means Azza is intense, is strong, is something that's very, very, very powerful. Azza. No, no, Azza. Like Az. Azah. And what is Zal? Zal means something that is cheap. Menashon ziluta. He says, you know why? Because they take the uh, goat 
And what do they do to it? Sarikh litnaeg basair minhag herpa ubizayon. And it is intense degradation. There's no bigger way to degrade an animal by taking it and just chucking it off a cliff. That is indeed azazal. That is an intense degradation. And that's exactly, if that's considered a degradation to an animal, could you imagine when you take a human and you take him and you throw him into a pit with snakes and scorpions? And therefore, that's why it's called Azael, Azazel, to remind us of the intense degradation that was done by the brothers when they threw not an animal off a cliff, when they threw their brother. Hence the name reminds us of the crime. Oh, if that's the case, Rabotai, I must tell you, this Malbim that I came across, Malbim is amazing. He says, hold it. We're talking about great people over here, the Shabbatim. No, these are not small, uh, these are not lightweights, as we would say. These are heavyweights. And you're telling me for a few inches of fabric, because of a little cufflink, because of a little, uh, 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 an extra pasiad for that, you go to war against your brother? You want to tell me he got the corner house and they got, you know, in the middle of the block on the avenue, uh, who knows where. Okay, uh, that's something to fight about. Uh, they gave him the good uh, car and they gave the, the brothers bicycles. All right, that's something to go to war about. But you're talking about you all got robes. I say, hey, wait, they took out their measuring stick. Hey, one second, they got two more inches. Oh, you got to hate the guy for that. We're going to kill him for that. What? Says the Rab. Unless you understand what the significance of that robe was. Listen to Malbim's last one. Incredible. What does it represent? It represents or it represents. The ketonet pasim actually is a religious vestment that the one that wears it is now designated to service. In the olden days, before the kohanim were installed, who did the service? The firstborns. And who was one of the firstborns of Yaakov? Yosef. So according to Malbim, the Ketonet Pasim is actually a priestly robe. That little extra fabric says, this over here is the robe of Avodah. And the brothers who were religious people said, hey, we want to serve. He gets to go and now be the, uh, the youngest one over here is going to be the, the priest of the family, the Kohen of the family. This is what motivated them. Not the fabric, but what it represented and the list of the language. This robe of Yosef is like the garment of the Kohen. It's like a ketonet bad kodesh, which is exactly the name of the robe that the Kohen wears on Kippur. In this week's parasha, ketonet bad kodesh ilbash. And the Malbim says, that was the ketonet pasim. 
And therefore, the Ketorin of the Kohen Gadol is very prominent because that's exactly represented. The same Ketorin the Kohen wears, which is a Ketorin of service, was the Ketorin of Yosef. And that's what they were trying to get rid of him. Therefore, Aharon must come on that day and atone for that sin that's still around, for the open wound of Sinat Hinam that starts with the brothers, says Meshach Chochmah. If you look at the Mahzor of Yom Kippur, you'll find something that you don't find in any of our Mahzorim. What is that? At the end of the prayer, we have a beracha. Melech, Mohel, Vesoleyah, La'avonotenu, V'la'avonot, Amo Yisrael, Tzervu, Ma'avir, Ashmotenu, Bechol Shana, Bechana, the God that forgives us. Right before the end of the prayer, it says, Ki ata solhan li Yisrael. God, you are the one that forgives Israel. Umohalan li shiftei Yeshurun. And you forgive the tribes of Yeshurun. Says Meshach Chokmah, show me another prayer where the tribes are mentioned. Since where in the Sintur do we ever mention B'nai Yisrael in a prayer as Shivatim? And all of a sudden Yom Kippur, Umohel Shivtei Yeshurun. He says, because that's the service of Kippur. On Kippur, the Kohen is effectuating mechilat to the Shabbatim. What Shabbatim? The Shabbatim that sold Yosef. And that sin is still around today. Because if Jews are still quarreling and fighting, that means the sin of Yosef has not been rectified. And therefore it arouses and it opens up a can of worms, as we'd say. And therefore, you need a Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur to make a very unusual service in the Midbar, at the scene of a crime, throwing a goat off a mountain with the blood, wearing the Ketor, and with the two Salaim of Deja Vu. And then he's got to go into the Holy of Holies, a pure zone of Binyamin. No names of the Shebatim. And over there, Aaron is able to enter. But I ask the following question. Now hold it. I got it. You can't put the names of the tribes. But hold it. What tribe is Aaron from? He's from Levi. Was Levi part of the sale of Yosef? Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, why is Aaron all of a sudden... So above the sin where you tell me, oh, you, anybody that was involved can't get involved with the kapara. And then who's the one that's doing everything? Aaron is the one that takes the goat of Azazel, puts his hand on it. And he's, oh, this is kapara for the sale of Yosef. Why doesn't God say, hey, you know what? Maybe I make a new halakha. On Yom Kippur, we should install a kohen gadol for the day from the tribe of Benjamin. Because he's the only one that has clean hands. How all of a sudden does Aaron sneak in over here and we say he's the one that's able to bring the kapara when he was from a tribe like everybody else that was guilty? Understand the question? Why don't we say in Katigor Nasa Senigor Aaron as well? You know the theory I'd like to present tonight, Abutai? He fixed it. Yeah, he fixed it. 
You know when he fixed it? What was the sin? The sin was that the younger brother, the younger brother got something more than the older brother, and the older brothers couldn't handle it. He's the younger brother, why are you getting all these benefits? And they weren't happy for him. They resented it. And all of a sudden, Aharon is put in the same exact scenario. Happiness heart. He acts like Aharon is in Egypt. He's the chief rabbi. He's 80, 83 years old. He's leading the nation. And all of a sudden, God comes to Moshe and says, you're the leader. And by the way, with the leader, it's a buy one, get one. So you're also going to become the Notena Torah. With that comes Matan Torah. So you're everything. You're going to be the Goel. You're going to be the Notena Torah. Moshe says, hold it, hold it, hold it. He looks at his birthdays. I'm young. I got an older brother. No, no, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not going there. Our history shows that when the younger brother, even if he gets two inches more fabric, it turned the, the place asunder. Now I'm going to get Geulat Yisrael, Matan Torah, and I got an older brother in Egypt. I'm not going there. Give it to Aaron, and I'm good. Borei Olam says, you don't know the greatness of your brother Aaron. Besides the fact that he's not going to hate you for it and resent you, He's actually going to be happy in his heart. He's going to be thrilled that his younger brother reached a certain uh, plateau in his career. He's going to be very, very happy for you. At that point, when Moshe Rabbeinu comes to Egypt and Aharon is happy, God says, this man over here is above the sin of the head of Yosef. Exactly what the brothers fell, Aharon rectified himself. And therefore, Aharon is in a league of his own. And therefore, God says to Aharon, because you're Oheb Shalom, Berodef Shalom. He's not looking to fight. Bring it, give it to my brother. I'll be joyous for him. Even where it hurts. Even where, yes. That means, I learned a lesson. There are a lot of people that come along and they preach very nicely, by the way. You know, they can give a nice dirashah, but just because you preach does not necessarily mean that you practice. As a matter of fact, most people do not practice what they preach. Aharon, come on, shalom, shalom, yeah. Aharon, put your money where your mouth is. And Aharon says, oh, what do you think? I didn't put my money where my mouth I was looked over. They went to my younger brother, Moshe, and they gave him everything. And what was my reaction? I'm very happy. What? You didn't even say a snide comment. You didn't even give him a little nothing. I was happy. Oh, Aharon, then God says, you could stick your hands on the goat of Azazel and you can bring kapara for B'nai Yisrael. You could go into the Holy of Holies because you're not a skatigor. You're not a prosecutor, Aharon. You're a sanigor. You're a defense because your behavior is exemplary. You could go into the area of Binyamin because you're just like Binyamin, just like he did not have a share in it. You yourself are not connected to that sin of Sinat Hanam. You're the Oheb Shalom, Birodev Shalom. And therefore, you can rectify the sin of Sinat Hanam of the brothers. Finally, because we want to bring this full circle, because we're finishing the month of Nisan, so now Pesach is going to be behind us, so we just have to make a full circle. Before we came, uh, uh, before Pesach, we mentioned cause of going down to Egypt. Neglect of your brother. 
As a matter of fact, we even said on the night of Seder, the Benish Chai says the reason why you take the karpas, he says karpas is karpas. Kar is cotton, pas is stripes, karpas is ketonet pasim. If you look in the Rashi and Parashat Vayeshev, when it says the word ketonet pasim, he says kemo karpas. And he says, you dip the karpas in salt water, you're reenacting the crime. Why we went down to Egypt. In the beginning of the Sandin, he's saying, we went down because of this, Rabotai, because brothers couldn't live together, because of acrimony. And then we put the matzah on our shoulders. So we act like Arabs to remember that we sold our brother to people that walk around with stuff on their shoulders. Remember we talked about this? And on the way out, what does Yosef HaSadiq tell the brothers? Before he dies, Yosef calls the brothers in for a meeting. And he tells them, listen, you know why we got down here? Because you forgot me. Because you neglected me. You're going to leave here one day. And if you're interested in making the tikkun, that on the way out, don't forget me this time. You're going to have a chance to redeem yourself. The avon that caused this whole mess can be fixed if you'll remember me on the way out. Says Orahim HaKadosh. Literally, mizeh means from here. Take my bones from here. Says the Ben Yishai, of course from here. Where did they take it from? Says the Rav. When Yosef used the word mizeh, he was hinting to something. He was hinting to a certain syntax, to a certain language that was used at the time of the sale. Go back to the story. You remember when Yosef went down to the field looking for his brothers? So the, the man saw him in the field and says, uh, fella, what are you looking for? And he said, Et Simply means, I'm looking for my brothers. Rashi says, he was saying something deeper. I am looking for brotherhood. Et I don't want to fight with my brothers. I'm looking for peace. Et I'm looking for brotherhood. So what did the man answer Yosef? Which simply means they're not here. They travel. But says Rashi, from what you're trying to accomplish, peace, they have traveled from that concept. They do not want peace. They want to kill you. From the item that you're uh, pursuing, they are running away from. And says, if you take the numerical value of the word Zeh, Zayin He is 12. They don't want a family of 12 anymore. They're just as happy if there'll be 11 tribes. They are resolved to leaving the family of Zeh. That was the conversation before we went down to Egypt. The word, So Yosef on the way out says, before he dies, you got to fix that. 
If you remember me on the way out, then you know what? The mizeh, the mizeh that you said when you sold me, that nasi'u mizeh, it will become itichem. It will now bring us together. You'll be able to rectify the mizeh and turn it into itichem. The disunity will become a, a, a unified family. Mizeh will become itichem. Nasi'u mizeh becomes one. Uh, and on the way out, of course, they didn't forget the bones of Yosef. And actually, the 40 years in the Midbar, they carried the bones of Yosef in the coffin. And I want to add, how do you carry a coffin? On your shoulders. That was a tikkun. You sold it to the Ishmaeli. So now that we put the matzah on the shoulders, not only did they put the sa'il azazel on the shoulders, but they actually carried the coffin of Yosef on their shoulders for 40 years. So they'll have a clear remembrance of the avon that they did. But unfortunately, the avon of Sunat Hinam is still amongst us. And that's why every Yom Kippur, they have to go through the same ceremony. The ceremony in the Midbar. The ceremony on Azazel. Like the Rab said, Azazal. A strong degradation. Like they did to their brother. And let the goat, the sa'ir, which reminds us of the sa'ir, that they dipped the ketor, and then Aaron wear the expensive ketoret. And let the goats, two sila'im of fabric, remind everybody of what we're doing here. And let Aaron go into the free zone, into the helik of Benjamin, without any names on the breastplate, but he could enter because he put his money where his mouth is. I was in the position where I could have done the same thing to my older, my younger brother, and I was happy. God says, your holy hands and your holy heart, put them on the Sa'il Azazel and go effectuate Kapara. And that's what the Mishnah is telling us. Aharon, not only can you go into the Kodesh Kodeshim on Kippur, but like the Haya Adam said, he can go in every single day. Because in that spot of Binyamin, in that holy area where there's no machloket, Aaron fits right in. Because after all, he's the Ohev Shalom, Verodev Shalom, Ohev Tabiriyot, Um Karevanat I'm on the way to a uh, 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 u